you have you ever heard anybody get a job without an interview and they're like no I'm like, exactly so we need to prepare for interviews because you know what it's going to happen right? you can see a beautiful resume lots of great information but i still need to know who is the human being behind the resume so the three parts are who i am professionally uh why i'm qualified and then why i'm here as a listener to take away is to understand that there are frameworks out there that help you get organized and allow you to communicate better. And you're going to be walking away with a really clear understanding of one, why do companies have interviews? Two, how to prepare for those interviews? And three, if I want to learn more about interviews, where should I go next? All right, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the How to Get a Job podcast. Today, we're diving in deep, deep, oh my God, look at my accent, uh, into interviewing. Um, and I have an amazing, amazing guest for you today. I have Pamela Skillings, and Pamela is an expert when it comes to interviewing. I was actually on your website, Pamela, and I even talked about the that New York uh, Times talks about how you're an interview guru. And so just to give you a little bit of a bio, she's the founder and chief coach at Big Interviewing and author of Job Interviewing for Dummies. So amazing guest, Pamela, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here to talk about my favorite subject, interviewing. Like you said, I've been, you know, sort of immersed in, in this topic for a while and all and all associated topics. So definitely very close to what uh, what you like to talk about every day as well. I love it. So I, I really wanted just to have a conversation and I think the goal for me is to make sure that, you know, if you're listening to this, if you're the audience, if you're listening to this, that you're going to be walking away with a really clear understanding of one, why do companies have interviews? Two, how to prepare for those interviews? And three, if I want to learn more about interviewing, where should I go next? Um, and so with that, Pamela, let me ask you a question. You know, I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this. I have yet to, you know, I've been doing a career coaching for over 10 years. I have yet to find one person that has just been hired just on their resume alone, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, hey, I saw you apply and I just wanted to call you to hire you. Like, I just never <laughs> have. If there's yeah. only one of you involved, I wanted to get your thoughts on why do you think that is? Yeah, and I don't see it going away anytime soon, uh, if ever, because it is, I, I, I agree that interviews are an imperfect way of choosing someone because it's just a short window of time and most people ask ridiculous questions and part of my life's goal is to help people answer those questions in a way that will help them achieve their goals but even though it is imperfect it's really it gives you so much more information as a hiring manager than a resume i can see a beautiful resume lots of great information but I still need to know who is the human being behind the resume. I need to find out, does this all ring true, all these wonderful things in the resume? Can they speak about it eloquently or did they create it with chat GPT, one or the other? New things we'll probably talk about, how that affects the world of interviewing. And just to get a feel for who this is as a person, if you're going to be working with them closely every day, that really is important. Personality, drive, professionalism, all of that that you can't get from a piece of paper or a you know, a word document. Yeah. It's so funny because I, I, I asked those when I'm having like workshops or talking to like our mentees, I said like, Hey, are you, have you ever heard anybody get a job without an interview? And they're like, no, I'm like, exactly. So we need to prepare for interviews. Cause you know what? It's going to happen. Right. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, when you said that, like, no one's just, we're talking about like, no one's just being hired based on a resume. I think it's interesting to remember, like, 
if you're listening to this, that a resume is the most biased document in the world, right? It's all of the good things you've ever done in your life. None of the bad. Like no one ever goes like, you know what? I should definitely put all the mistakes I've ever made in my life. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's yeah. I'm going to be very honest about my every uh, every failure in my life. <laughs> you know, in fact, you just like, depending on what study you look at or where you Google it, like it's like 75% of people lie or exaggerate on their resume. And yeah. the reason why I'm bringing this up is because recruiters and hiring managers and people involved in the hiring process know that people lie or exaggerate on their resume. They've seen it personally, people, yeah. you know, and they probably did it themselves, right? Like statistically speaking, they probably exaggerated yeah. or lied on the resume too. So you need to then conduct interviews, which to me is a way to mitigate the risk of hiring. And so that's where the reason why I wanted to start off like this is because yeah. I think a lot of times we skip on why do companies have interviews? And then if we don't understand that strategy, then we're not able to then prepared. And I know that we need to an, know how to answer the questions. We'll get into some of the most commonly asked questions on how to prepare for that. Mm-hmm. But what are other, you know, before we even start preparing for the interview, what other advice or is there anything else you think we need to know yeah. as we head into the job searching process and get to the interview stages of this process? Yeah, I think it's so helpful for anyone who's looking for a job to understand the perspective and what the interviewer is thinking. And of course, there's different kinds of interviewers. There's the recruiter, the hiring manager, all of that. But if you've never hired before, it may not be obvious to you, you know, where they're coming from. Obviously, they're trying to find someone to fill their role. Um, If they don't pick someone good who does the job well and who, you know, is uh, not a major risk um, to uh, to fail or do something terrible uh, for the company, then that makes them look bad. They're not going to get promoted. They're not going to get a nice bonus. This is part of their job is to find the right person. So there's a lot riding on this for them. You can't always tell because a lot of people seem to be phoning it in and you have no idea what they're thinking. But if you always think about why they're asking a question from that perspective, what are they trying to find out? Why are they asking me this question? Uh, how How does my answer help them? understand if I'm a good fit or a good risk to, uh, to take in terms of hiring me and, uh, and bringing me on board. I love how you mentioned, are you a good fit and are you like in the risk associated with bringing you on board? And like, that just kind of like reminds me to something I, I dive a lot into is like every company, regardless of its size has limited resources, right? Apple, Google, the U.S. government, right? The largest employer, Walmart, it it doesn't matter. We all have limited resources. And so because we have limited resources, every time we make or making a hiring decision, right? We're making an investment. If I go in and I hire a software engineer and I'm paying them $100,000, I can't use that money because of my limited resources. I don't have unlimited money to go and pay for more ads or buy a new office building or buy a new vehicle or, you know, buy a new piece of software. So if we understand that every hiring decision is an investment, we have to remember that it comes down to two factors. What is my risk versus my reward? And I think for me, and I would love to get your thoughts on this, is like, I think we need to understand when we're going into the interview, how do we cover those two aspects of it? Risk versus reward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, and, and both really are important. And I think, of course, when you come to the reward piece of it, a lot of it is about what are your skills? What are your competencies? What are your experience? How are you gonna be able to bring value in this particular job if we hire you? You can come in and say, hey, I've done this successfully in the past. 
here are my accomplishments, here are the things that I bring to the table. Being able to talk about those things is really important. And I think that's hard for a lot of people because the way we talk about ourselves in interviews or the way that's most effective to talk about ourselves in interviews anyway, very different from the way we talk about ourselves anywhere else. And people would not invite you to parties if you talked about yourself in like social situations, like, well, my greatest strength, you know, but it's a different sort of way of presenting yourself in an interview and you have to kind of learn to, to sell yourself a little bit. So I'd say that's the reward side. And then on the risk side, being able to communicate, well, A, that your track record is one of professionalism. So things like gaps and uh, leaving a job after six months, things like that. The reason that those are red flags sometimes for hiring managers, and of course, there are many, many good reasons why that happens to a great candidate. Um, but you need to be able to explain that because for them, they're looking at that and thinking, okay, could this be a red flag? Could this be someone who doesn't stick around, who doesn't stick to their commitments, who maybe showed up and then couldn't perform? You know, is this a, a sign of potential danger in me hiring this particular person? And and the interest in the job, I I, I see that as something that a lot of people overlook on both sides because someone could be very talented and great at the skills that are required for the job. But if they're not, if this job isn't what they want to do next, there's a risk there because they might take it if there's nothing better around and then leave within three months because it's not really what they want to do next. So uh, it's that that's a tricky area for both the interviewer and the interviewee sometimes. It's such a great, uh, like that you're sharing that because I, I so we, we were recently, uh, interviewing, I was interviewing for an executive assistant. So I just hired an executive assistant. So now uh, if you are listening to this, uh, I'm going to tell you a little story on how I interviewed someone. I interviewed, I interviewed, so my team was interviewing a bunch of people. I come down to saying like, Hey, Daniel, we have three candidates. Uh, I'm the final interview, right? It's, but I didn't want to go through all the rounds. And I interviewed someone that had a lot of executive assistant experience. They had been an executive assistant for an other coach. They had been an executive assistant for an office. They had been an administrator for a real estate agent. So they, they experienced more qualifications, understood that the, they had experience working with Calendly, Monday, kind of all of like our tech stack that, that I use uh, to be yeah. able to manage my, my time. And then we had this brand new person right out of college, you know, no, no necessarily relevant experience. And on paper, if, if I were just making a decision to your point, I, not to your point, but what we were talking about earlier on the resume, I should have took it a person with the, with the, with the better resume, better experience, better overall fit. And I didn't. I actually took the other person. But I only found that out once I interviewed both candidates because what I realized is that this other person that I didn't go with, like there were some red flags. on well, When I asked her about the jobs, they were there, she was only there for like six to eight months. It wasn't there for a long term. I can also see that she didn't have clearly or why she wanted to work with Opni. Like she wasn't. And then the other person that I said was like, she had researched our company. She knew exactly what we're trying to, what's our mission and vision. And she was super aligned with our mission and vision. So to me, I can easily as a, as a hiring manager, as someone that I don't want to recruit a high, an executive assistant every six months, I can see how this person can be here for at least two to three years where the other person necessarily couldn't do it. And so even though I chose a less qualified candidate because of the long-term potential, because of the low, like low risk hiring, I ended up going with the right, with the other person. Yeah. And I think that's good for people to understand. Of course, the more qualified you are, the better, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't apply to something. If you might be missing one or two of the areas of experience that they're looking for, that might be ideal because I hear this from, 
my friends who hire people all the time. And, and in my own experience, a lot of times you go with that person who may be missing some of the experience or some of the must-haves or nice-to-haves, but they demonstrate some something, whether it's that that drive to learn, that sense of, you know, problem solving, you know, something that's more important for the role, because almost anyone can learn how to use Calendly, can learn how to, you know, you have to learn new processes, any job that you join. So you really have to be able to, to weigh the value. And, and if you interview well, and you present yourself in the right way, a lot of times you can overcome any doubts about, oh, but does she really have four years of advanced Excel experience? Well, maybe not, but the other things that that person that that candidate brings outweigh that requirement. Well, and I guess a follow up question that I have for you is: Would you recommend a candidate to prepare for an upcoming interview differently based on how qualified mm-hmm. or unqualified they are for the role? Does that change yes. the way you prepare? Yes, definitely. I always tell everyone, and it doesn't matter if you're a new grad or even a student, or you're you know interviewing for a senior level role. Every time you go in for a new position, really looking at that position, whatever information you have, the job description, any other information that you can find out about what they're looking for, what do they need in this role, what's most important in this role. And then doing a real analysis of your background and really identifying, just so you know, what are my biggest strengths here? What are the things I have that they really want that are really important to them that I should really play up and make sure that I talk about and and uh, and bring out as as much as possible in the interview. And what are some possible gaps? You know, what are some things they're looking for that I don't have, or I don't have as much experience in uh, that could come up or that are likely to, is likely to be a consideration. And then being prepared, having a few bullet points, yes, to talk about your strengths, but also having a few bullet points if you know going in, okay, uh, this, this role really does want someone who's managed a budget before and I haven't done that, but I've done everything else. But this is pretty important for them. They're probably gonna ask about it. So I wanna prepare a few bullet points. If they ask me that question, I can say, well, no, I haven't done that, but I've done these other things that are similar. I'm a fast learner. Uh, I've learned other things that are you know, even more difficult and I'm really excited about, about this role. So there are ways to, to counteract that, but you wanna be prepared because otherwise you come in and they ask you that question. You're, you've been sitting there going, don't ask me about budgets, don't ask me about budgets. And then I ask you about budgets and you're like, well, um, you know, I don't know. I, uh... And you know, it's very hard to, uh, to spontaneously address something that might be more awkward or more of a sensitive subject. So going and prepared is, is really important. Yeah, proper preparation prevents poor performance. So um, it's so important that you're preparing. And, and I would tell you, like for anyone listening, I've been mentoring people how to get jobs forever. And one of the most commonly asked questions that I get is if they're stressing out, they're like, they've been applying for jobs for weeks. And they're like, oh my God, Daniel, I got an email. I have an interview tomorrow. What do I do? And it's, <laughs> and, and that's, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Yeah. Because so common. We had to build a document that says how to get ready for a last minute interview. And it's yeah. not last minute. If you've been applying for jobs, just know that companies run at their own time. And yes, yeah. it'll take weeks to reply, but then whenever they're ready to interview, it might be tomorrow. It might be two days. It might be in three days. So with that being said, anybody to this, how do you suggest preparing for last minute interviews? Yes. And this is actually something that, you know, you're absolutely right. A lot of people have the situation come up. It's either because maybe they're looking casually and they haven't really done a lot of prep yet, or um, this particular opportunity is really important to them and they feel like they haven't prepped enough. And uh, so having that last minute prep to do, and it can be a little 
terrifying. And so we even on, on Big Interview, we created something called the fast track. And a, and a lot of times at the beginning, we used to describe it a lot as when your interviews tomorrow and you have no idea what you're doing. Right. Um, so it really breaks down the lessons. We have a lot of lessons and topics that we cover. But the fast track really breaks down into like, okay, what are the things you need to do now that you can do quickly? And part of that is like what I just talked about, which is analyzing the job description, really understanding your strengths and weaknesses for the job, which also allows you to anticipate the likely questions. And then it goes into preparing for, I would say, some of the most common questions that you're going to get pretty much every interview. Tell me about yourself, some variation of that, like what's your story? Uh, why this role? What, why are you interested in this role that, that we are talking about here today? Uh, usually there's something about strengths and weaknesses. Uh, usually there's something about why you want to leave your current job or why you left your last job if you're currently not employed. And then usually there's at least a couple behavioral type questions. So that'll depend. The topic will depend on the job. But tell me about a time you worked on a team or tell me about a time you dealt with a conflict or tell me about a time you had to learn a new skill on the job. You know, so there's a whole bunch of those behavioral questions floating out there. Uh, so one of the things I tell those those people who have the interview tomorrow who don't have time to go and look at every behavioral question that's out there is to start by thinking about what I always call it your greatest hit stories, right? So thinking about what are some of the projects I've worked on or some of my big accomplishments that I know are gonna make me sound great in an interview, right? And so creating those stories, the bullet points, I'm not a big believer in, in scripting word for word, but just sort of outlining the bullet points of, okay, that project that I managed at my last job, that was such a big success. I'm gonna outline the bullet points and I talked about the star format. It's not the only way to do it, but one way to do it. And, uh, and then you have that story ready. And most of those greatest hit stories are pretty versatile. You could use it for a lot of different things. You could use it for a question about leadership or problem solving or working on a team. So instead of trying to figure out an answer to every possible behavioral question out there, Start with your greatest hits and the stories that you think would be beneficial for you to tell uh, in the interview so that they walk away from the interview knowing, oh, he's great at teamwork or she's amazing at analytical thinking or whatever it is that uh, that are your strengths. No, I, I love it. And I think, you know, you know, every company will do the interviews differently. Some will have three rounds, some will have five rounds, some will have a lot of yeah. behavior, some will all have a, a technical assessments, right? So it's, right, you know, right. You can try to figure that out in Google A and, and, and prepare for it as well. But there is a lot of commonalities. And I think the 80-20 rule applies. There's a lot of commonalities also. And I think understanding how to answer the most commonly asked questions, right? Tell me about yourself, some variation of that. Another variation of why do you want to work here? Why did you apply here? Yeah. Why are you interested in this role? And, you know, strengths and weaknesses and behavioral questions. You're going to get those four main kind of like pillars or buckets into it. And yeah. so... Let, let's kind of dive into those four essentially a little bit deeper. Sure. On the first, most commonly asked question, tell me about yourself. Um, yeah. How do you suggest preparing for it or answering it uh, to kind of, uh, I, I guess, do the best we can when it comes to that situation? Yeah, well, that's, and it's a hard one. And so one of the things I always say is I, it's really worth taking the time. I think a lot of people are tempted to just, you know, ramble on and sort of walk through their resume, kind of look at their resume and walk through it step by step. And, you know, it's not that that's the wrong way to do it. And if you're very, you know, if you're great at communication, maybe you can do well with that approach. But for most people, uh, it's hard to tell your entire career story in what I always recommend. One to two minutes is kind of the sweet spot for any answer. Of course, there's, 
usually not a timer and a buzzer or anything like that, but you really do lose people's attention span if you go much beyond two minutes just monologuing and not having you know a conversation about it. So trying to come up with a way of outlining your entire career and your key strengths and accomplishments within that one to two minutes. So I tell people about a three-part model. We use a three-part model uh, and there's other ways to do it as well, of course, but this idea that you start out with, so the three parts are who I am professionally, uh, why I'm qualified, and then why I'm here. And so the who I am is often the best way, unless you're a brand new student, it's more of a big picture, sort of, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a marketing manager with X years of experience focusing on this or that, right? So some sort of big picture overview of who you are as a professional. And then the why I'm qualified, you know, it depends on the job and who you are, but it's three or four bullet points of sort of, these are the key things that I've done. A lot of people will use that time to go through, here's what I'm doing at my current job, accomplishments, results, here's what I did at the one before, you know, and going back as, as far as it makes sense. And then the last part, the why I'm here is often just a quick, I like it um, because it's a way of ending your answer with a strong indication of interest in the position. So a lot of times it could be as simple as just, I'm really excited to be here because I think this is a great, this role would be a great fit for me. Uh, you could throw in a little more detail there, but it's a good way to wrap up as well. Because one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they start rambling and they tell me about yourself. They're talking about every college class they took, their cousins and their Boy Scout, whatever. And, uh, and then suddenly they're like, oh my God, how do I get back? How do I get back on track? How do I end this thing? Uh, so having that last bullet point, the why I'm here, also gives you that opportunity to go back and wrap up in a confident sort of uh, neat way. You know, I, it's it's really interesting thing you say. It's like, hey, like, this is the way I do it. And I, I think for the audience to understand, like what I would just say is there's yeah. many ways to reach the goal. And uh, Pamela talked about hers. And actually, we, we use something very similar, but it, we call it differently. It's called present, past, and future. And it's very, very similar in the sense like yeah. present, where you're currently at. And we work with a lot of college students. So it's like major, yeah. I, I'm a, a software engineer student, graduated in May 2024. All right. So where yeah. are you presently? Past, what past experiences has prepared you for this role? And future, right? It's the same. Yeah. How do you yeah. Within the company, and like, what what yeah. I guess the reason why I'm sharing my framework and her framework is that there is no right or wrong. If you actually see ninety nine point nine percent the same, what I want you as a listener to take away is to understand that there are frameworks out there that help you get organized and allow you to communicate better. And whether you're using the STAR method for behavioral interviews or another variation of it, the point of using one of those frameworks is so that you can stay the course and not get let the nerves to get the most of you yeah. and feel lower the place and not be able to give the interviewer, the hiring team, the information they require to be able to make an educated decision on whether you're a good fit or not. And so to me, using those types of frameworks, whether you use the one Pamela used or the one that I just shared with you, it's the same in, in, for, for the most part. And yeah. so that you can stay on track and you use that one minute and a half to two minutes to give them the information that they need to decide if you're the right fit or not. And it should, like, I think yeah. one thing is really important when it comes to interviewing, the way I look at it, it's like you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you, but it should yeah. be a really beneficial relationship because at the end of, there's no thing, there's no such thing as a long-term relationship if it's not mutually beneficial. And so sure they're paying you, but you're paying them back with your time and knowledge yeah. and effort. Yeah. And so 
the whole point of what I look at interviewing is that you, both parties need to be able to get enough information to say, okay, you know what? I can see you doing this job. I can see me being here and being mm -hmm. happy. Both of you need to be happy, both short-term and long-term. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's, it's a great point. You know, frameworks, the reason that I create frameworks and, and use them with my clients is to save them time and to save them having to reinvent the wheel. But it doesn't mean that's the only way or even that employers are going to like mark you off if you didn't, you know, use the framework. There's always uh, room to customize and, and make it your own. It's really just a shortcut to help you kind of hit the best practices and, you know, adapt it for yourself. So like even with that three-part model, if I have someone who just left under negative circumstances, they don't want to talk about that, um, that last job right off the bat because they don't want to lead with it. So then I might adapt the format and say, no, no, let's not start with that. Let's start with something different and let's think about how we want to address that. Do we want to mention it in the tell me about yourself? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Um, so there's always room to to adapt and customize for your own situation. Love it. So after that, tell me about yourself. It generally goes into some reason of why you apply for the company, this role, this yes. department, this position. How would you recommend getting ready for that type of questioning? Yes, I would say definitely prepare for this because this is one that I find that a lot of people don't prepare a lot for because, and I understand this, right? They're thinking, well, I'm here. I need to make money. I want a job like, duh, right? I, you know, like, of course, uh, I'm interested in this job. But from the interviewer's perspective, you know, there's a lot of people who applied for this job, right? So part of them and part of this comes back to the risk thing we talked about. I'm the hiring manager. I want to hire someone who's excited about this role, who sees it as the perfectly best, I guess, uh, next step for them, as opposed to, eh, I could do it. I could make a few bucks. Um, you want to hear enthusiasm. And so Sometimes it's hard to do that spontaneously, especially if the job doesn't have a lot of information. Maybe it's not the most exciting job you've ever heard of in the world. And uh, to be able to communicate that enthusiasm when answering that question about why you're interested in the role. So I think thinking about a couple of things, one being the organization, the company or the nonprofit or, or whatever type of organization it may be thinking about why you would want to work there. So doing that research and, and being able to speak to that and showing that you've done your homework. And then just as important, I think a lot of people leave this out is, uh, unless asked directly about it, is why this particular job, right? Because I may love this company, but if I'm not interested in this job and doing this job well, I'm probably not the best person for you to hire. So I, they, it's really important to communicate what is it about the job duties and uh, the work that I would be doing that I find interesting and rewarding and that I would be uh, really good at. I'd be able to uh, deliver results for your company. I'm so glad you brought that why this particular job up because it's it's one of those things that we assume, oh, I, it's like I'm working at Google, so then I the manager's yeah. gonna be happy that I just wanna work at Google. But you have to understand, you know, it comes down to human behavior. And at the end of the day, as humans, we're selfish creatures. And so, sure, the manager wants to make sure you want to work at Google. But if he's hiring you for that department, he also doesn't want to lose you to another role in Google in three months because, because no one wants to hire someone that's using this role as a stepping stone and two months move out and use an internal transfer. And so... That's why a manager is going to want to know why did you apply for this particular project role team because they don't want to have to replace you for no somebody else. Now, no manager or at least a good manager, right, doesn't want to keep you 
in the department forever or in that role forever. And I think people are, 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 it's totally okay for you to get promoted, you know, every two to three years or 16, a year and a half, right? Depending if you're on the fast track, but they, you need to be able to communicate. Why do you see yourself there for at least two years? That role in particular, because if not, the manager might just say no to you completely, even though you might be a good fit for the, for the company, he's not mm-hmm. willing to risk for the role. Yeah, and that's why people ask that really awful cliche question, where do you see yourself in five years, right? Uh, and they, you know, there's different ways to word it that I prefer, but the idea behind it is not that ridiculous, right? Five years is a long time right now in the job market, but they do want to hear, like, I can see myself in this role, you know, over time, you know, I don't see myself leaving uh, anytime soon. I can see myself learning and growing in this role and, and being being content with that. So I think that is important turnover is expensive turnover means they have to then start this job search all over again which means that things don't get done and you know momentum is lost so anytime you lose somebody prematurely for whatever reason then that's um that's a big loss for the company yeah um you know i think as as job seekers or candidates if you're not in the hr world you don't realize that like uh, Sherm says that the cost of replacing someone could be one to three to five years or three, yeah. one to three times the first year salary. I think even it could be higher uh, depending on the role, but like on, on generally speaking. So like replacing you, if you're not there for at least a year or two years, uh, then you're, you're actually costing the company money versus making the company money, which is the goal of yeah. hiring, right? Even nonprofit. Yeah, because you're training, they're training you, they're, you know, they're onboarding you. And uh, yeah, so it's uh it's, it's definitely something that they want. Of course, there's no guarantees and things happen on both sides, but to know at least that the desire is there and the motivation is there is going to be important for most interviewers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, before, uh, I, I want to, I, just because of time, I want to make sure we cover one more yeah. of those questions, which is behavioral questions. And I do want to make sure we talk about a little bit about uh, if people are interested to learn more about you. So you talked about the STAR method, but maybe let's dive a little bit deeper uh, mm-hmm. deeper regarding um, how to answer behavioral, first of all, why do companies have behavioral questions and then how to prepare and to answer behavioral questions? Yes. And I think that sometimes there's some confusion around what is a behavioral question because it's become this common term. And I've heard my, you know, my coaching clients refer to behavioral questions as all kinds of questions <laughs> that are not actually behavioral questions. Um, so really a behavioral question is any question that asks you for an example. So a lot of them start with tell me about a time or give me an example uh, in other cases, they might ask you about something on your resume. Hey, walk me through this project that you mentioned, you know, under this company, right? So anything that asks you to sort of tell a story about something that you've done or an experience that you've had in the past. So um, storytelling, it's a great way of communicating. So it really is an opportunity when you get these questions to be able to really help give them a sense of not only what you've done and what you've accomplished, but also how do you approach work? What do you value? You know, what do you like to work with? Uh, so companies ask these questions a lot, not just to torture you, because uh, I know sometimes they can feel a little more challenging some, than some of the more straightforward questions. But there have been studies done showing that these behavioral questions are probably the most effective questions in terms of getting real data about what a person has done, about their skills, and about their experience. Because, I mean, think about it. If, if they ask you something like, hey, tell me about your Excel skills. People can go on, you know, this sort of beautiful thing. I'm great at it. It's fantastic. I've, you know, but if someone asks you, tell me about a project you worked on recently that required strong Excel skills, that gives me a much better sense of A, what you think 
our strong Excel skills. You know, how did you approach the project? How did it go? You know, all kinds of great information there. So I would say most, especially big companies uh, that train their interviewers, which I'm a big fan of and I wish more did, uh, but uh, a lot of them will include, include a good number of behavioral questions during the interview process and really try to ask behavioral questions about all of the top competencies, the key things that they really think about as must-haves for that particular role. Yeah. No, I, I, I love it because it's so true. Like past performance is a good, it's a, one of the best indicators of future performance. So how do you handle yeah. a difficult situation with a client is a good indicator of how you're going to handle a difficult situation with one of their clients if you were right. to get that. And so um, I know that you talked about the STAR method and just because of time, I actually want to defer them to connect with you to learn more about a yeah. big interview and the STAR method. But before we wrap it up, I would love for you to share a little bit more, uh, Pamela, about you, uh, big interviewing. Sure and your amazing book, Job Interviewing for Dummies. And what is the best way for people who want to learn more to get a hold of you or connect with you and learn about your services? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I used to work in for big companies, for big corporations, Morgan Stanley, MasterCard, Citigroup, uh, NHR, and hiring as well as on the communication side of things. And so I left there um, for a number of reasons. I escaped from corporate America. That was my first book. It was called Escape from Corporate America to go out on my own and uh, ultimately uh, started this platform called Big Interview. It grew out of my career coaching business. Uh, once I started doing career coaching, I found that a lot of people needed help with interviews and that for some reason I had a knack with helping people figure out how to get better at interviews. And it just grew from there. And so Big Interview uh, was created first for my coaching clients to use to practice and, and do things between sessions. And now it's grown and we have millions of users at this point. We have 600 and some universities. We've got Harvard, Yale, Stanford, all the big uh, schools and university, universities, as well as a lot of great smaller schools and state governments and, and other organizations that we work with that, uh, that use our content. We have video lessons teaching people about best practices for interviews. We have a practice interview tool that now has AI feedback to tell people how many ums are you using? Are you talking too fast? Are you uh, are you mumbling? You know all these things that are hard to judge about ourselves and sometimes hard to get good honest feedback from other people about. And we also have a lot of resume tools and uh, and other things involved there. So that's sort of how I spend my days. I coach clients and. Uh, and I'm also always thinking about content for big interview and making that more useful for our users. And I also um, continue to do some training on the corporate side. I mentioned that a lot of companies will train their interviewers. And so I always welcome an opportunity to go in and A, talk to interviewers so I can give the information back to my, my coaching clients and big interview users, but also to try to help as best as I can as one person make the interview process less biased and more more effective for everybody so that, you know, people really can find the right opportunities. So, yeah, and then the opportunity to uh, to write job interviewing for dummies grew out of that. Uh, my publisher found me online and asked if I'd be interested in, uh, in writing the book. So that was uh, the latest project to try to create something to put a lot of that advice that's already available on Big Interview into a book. Some people prefer to have a nice book that they can mark up and you know, fold down the pages and, and write notes in the margins. So, so yeah, those are sort of my, my latest projects. That's amazing. What would be the best way for people to learn more about 
your services or you know i'm sure you can buy your book on amazon we can put a link to it on the on the on the podcast notes and would linkedin be the best way to to connect with you and learn more about you or how would you suggest yeah i love to connect with people on linkedin i post on linkedin and answer people's questions on linkedin you can also go to biginterview.com we have a whole resources area with tons of free content even if you don't want to sign up for the platform we have a lot of free content that can help you stuff on the star format and some of the other things that uh, that we talked about today and uh, and you can also sign up for our our newsletter there as well love it love it well uh pamela thank you so much for being here and for all of you listening look if you enjoy this um um if you know someone that's going through the interview or isn't applying and they need to hear this uh please share this episode with them if you haven't done so already like and subscribe thank you all so much for listening and as obvious as you can tell as much as we try to cover in 35 minutes, it's impossible to cover interviewing in that short amount of time. So highly encourage you to connect with Pamela if you want to learn more about interviewing or connect with me on LinkedIn. We're here to help. Thank you for listening and catch you guys on the next episode. Bye, everyone. Awesome. Thanks, Daniel.